0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In the sermon series, Black Swan, we are exploring Jesus through the eyes of Mark's gospel. We are going to be looking at the reason why Jesus, who started off as a poor peasant from Nazareth, became one of the most influential figures in the Western world. I hope you enjoy. I don't know about you, but I really do love a good mystery. Whether it's a book or a movie, mysteries have this way of capturing your imagination in ways that other stories do not. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, mysteries are good. I like mysteries. You know, my favorite kind of mystery though are the mysteries where you don't even realize that you're actually in a mystery until about halfway through the story. A really good example of this is from the 2001 movie A Beautiful Mind. Now, how many people in here have seen A Beautiful Mind? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Okay, so some of you know what I'm talking about. A Beautiful Mind follows the life and career of the mathematician, John Nash. Now, I mentioned John Nash in one of my previous sermons, the Sermon on Dreams during Genesis, but I'm going to get more into his life here in this particular sermon. So Nash, who received his doctorate from Princeton in 1950, did his doctoral dissertation on non-competitive game theory. Now, I know that sounds really exciting and a really good plot for a movie, right? But what you have to understand is that actually his thesis became known as an economic principle called the Nash Equilibrium. And he received the Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences in 1994 because his theory was so influential in helping governments all around the world determine economic outcomes. This was a really, really big deal because he overturned 150 years of economic theory with this 16-page thesis that he wrote so although it doesn't sound like much of a plot because Nash was a genius but watching a genius do math that doesn't exactly make for a good movie uh, it things heat up real quick when all of a sudden he goes to MIT he gets a really high-end position there and uh, the government comes to him and they say we would like you to help us to code messages from communist regimes well things begin to heat up because he finds himself in a game of international espionage where it becomes increasingly apparent that his life is in danger. The more he decodes, the more things begin to spiral out of control. But what you don't realize until about midway through the film is that none of this is real. Because in reality, Nash was a paranoid schizophrenic. And all of this is happening in his mind. And so the plot takes a turn when you realize that the movie is no longer about spies and governments. That's not really the mystery. The mystery is this man who you've been watching the entire time. Now, I use A Beautiful Mind as an example because the story of John Nash is similar to the story of Jesus. Not in the paranoid schizophrenic part. That's not what I'm trying to say about Jesus. But in the sense that there's this guy who you see, who you think you know, and then you come to find later on that many of the assumptions that you thought were correct about him prove to be false. I think a lot of people believe they know who Jesus is. Though none of us have ever met Jesus, we've heard so many stories about him throughout our lives that we've developed this sense of familiarity with him. The problem with familiarity is, It can blind you to the reality that's staring you in the face. Jesus is a mysterious figure. To give you a hint of what I'm talking about, I want to ask you a question. Now, it may seem simple on the surface, but this question is going to get us into a whole line of thinking that many of you by the end are going to say, why did we have to go through this? But it's going to be good in the end if you're willing to trust me and follow me with it and some of you though it's going to be a tough thing because we're going to be questioning many of the assumptions that you've held true about Jesus. So the question goes like this which event is more important Jesus's birth or Jesus's baptism? Now it depends on who you ask because if you ask a kid that question they're going to tell you Christmas is more important because Christmas comes with presents right? In fact, some adults will probably say the same thing. Christmas is definitely more important because you get presents with it. But if you ask an adult, particularly if you ask a biblical scholar, they will tell you that Jesus' baptism is more important. Why? Because Jesus' baptism marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. After Jesus' baptism is when he starts preaching and taking on disciples, and he launches this whole thing that we call Christianity. But some of you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, but Alex, wouldn't Christmas kind of mark the beginning of this whole thing we call Christianity? I mean, Jesus' baptism is important, don't get me wrong, but wouldn't his birth actually be a little bit more important? Isn't that why Christmas is the bigger celebration and we don't celebrate Jesus' baptism at all? I mean, come on, let's just weigh it out. And actually, given the traditional understanding of Christianity you would be correct. But actually, this is a point of controversy within the scriptures. Now, do all of you know that there's a New Testament in the Bible? I just wanna check. We're checking to make sure. We're all on the same page on that one. So there's an Old Testament, and then the last third is a New Testament. And within the New Testament, there are four Gospels. Now a Gospel is simply a narrative story about Jesus's life. And the common wisdom shared among churches is that each of these stories is essentially the same story told from slightly different perspectives. Have you ever heard that before? Okay. So what happens is, because we assume these stories are from essentially the same perspective, we tend to meld all of them into one. And this is what scholars refer to as a metagospel. We, in essence just smash them all together we ignore the contradictions and believe me there are many many contradictions and then we smooth out the rough edges but i have to tell you that in my opinion this is a mistake to mesh them all together into one story is to ignore what makes them special and unique and those unique differences are actually what give us the most insight into who jesus is in the Bible, what's the order of the Gospels? It goes Matthew, Mark, Mark, Mark Luke, Luke, and John. Everybody knew that, right? Of course. Everybody's forget. <laughs> okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, that's not the order in which they were written. The first Gospel that was written was the Gospel of Mark around 70 AD. When was Jesus crucified? Any guesses? Found 30. 30, 33, somewhere in there. So Mark was written... 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Matthew's the second, it was written between 80 and 85. Then you have Luke, which is around 85, and then John, which is between 90 and 100. Now, many people believe that the Gospels are first hand accounts of Jesus' life, but this is not true. None of the Gospel authors were writing a first hand account, it is two or three generations removed from Jesus. That's really important to understand because it changes the way you think about it. If you've thought it's first-hand accounts, uh, it's not so much. So, what also you have to realize is is that the people who wrote these Gospels, they had no idea that these were going to be compiled into this book called the New Testament. No concept of that at all. They had no idea that their Gospel would be compared with three other Gospels side by side. I think if they knew that, they probably would have written some things that were pretty different than what they wrote. They wrote their gospel for a particular community, in a particular time, in a particular place, never dreaming that we, 2,000 years later, would be reading these things. And so, one of the big reasons why we're focusing on Mark is because Mark is the closest to Jesus' actual life. And what that tells us is that it's probably going to be the most accurate to who Jesus was. Can you do me a favor? Can you take out a Bible? If you have a Bible in you take it out, turn to Mark. Turn to Mark. I know we don't tend to do that in the Presbyterian Church. We don't like to touch the Bible, but it's okay. It's not going to burn you too badly. (laughs) All right. So, what page is it on? 812. 12 12 Okay. It's on 812. 12 Okay. So, you turn to the Gospel of Mark. What you're probably going to realize, if you look at that, it's what I just read, is that there is no birth narrative in there. There's no story of Jesus being born. So if Mark was the only gospel that we had, if none of the other gospels had made it in, there would be no Christmas pageants. Because there would be no Christmas. Because it's not in Mark. In Mark, Jesus just appears on the scene, right? Right? What happens is it starts off talking about this guy, John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness. And then he tells his followers who are out there that this guy is coming who's going to be more powerful than he is, who's going to bring the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't seem to know who this person is. He just knows this guy is on his way. And Jesus, he just happens to be one of the people in the crowd waiting to be baptized by John. And so many scholars believe that at least initially, John, or Jesus, was a disciple of John the Baptist. That's why he was out there. He was out there with him, following John into the wilderness. But then what happens is, right as he's about to be baptized, something different happens to him that doesn't happen to anyone else. When he gets baptized, this voice comes from heaven saying, You are my son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Now, we don't know if everybody hears that, or just a few people, or just Jesus. We don't know. It doesn't say. But what we do know is, something special happens to Jesus in that moment. You see, what I find to be so fascinating about Mark is because it doesn't have a birth narrative, you don't know if Jesus knew he was God's son prior to his baptism. Now, using the other Gospels, we can assume that was the case, but looking at just this one, in isolation, which is what I'm planning for us to do throughout the rest of this series, you don't know. And what's more, all of these powers that Jesus seems to possess, when he heals the sick, raises people from the dead, and calms the winds and storms, well, these are powers that he doesn't seem to use or possess prior to his baptism. So this raises a really interesting question of, did he gain those powers at his baptism? Or did he always have them and simply never use them? You see, when you don't do the whole metagospel thing, when you combine all the stories together into one, it makes it a lot more complicated to understand who Jesus is. Now, in Mark's gospel, the beginning of Christianity is at the baptism. Because the baptism is a dividing line. So follow me on this. This is important. After the baptism is when Jesus demonstrates his powers. After the baptism is when we find out Jesus is God's son. After the baptism is when we discover that Jesus has this amazing knowledge of the scriptures. And each of these dividing lines raises hugely difficult and challenging questions about who Jesus is. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about Jesus's knowledge of the scripture for a second. Now, if you wanted to be a rabbi in ancient Israel, particularly if you lived in Jerusalem, you had to go through several different levels of education to get there. So, I want you to imagine this. You're a child, and from the ages of about 6 to 10, you're going to be taught the Torah. And today, Orthodox Jews still memorize the Torah by heart in Hebrew, the first five books of the Bible. Backwards and forwards, they know it. Then if you were a male... You could move to the second level, which you would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. And then you would finally move to the third level if you made it past that second one where you would learn the traditions of the rabbis. Suffice it to say, you had to be pretty smart to make it through all those levels of education. And the vast majority of the people who did this were told, you know what, you're not good enough. Go home. Learn the family trade. Now, in Matthew and Luke, those two Gospels, it is assumed that Jesus is a traditional rabbi who has been through the Jewish education system. But in Mark, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And remember, last week I told you about Nazareth. What did I say? In Nazareth, there was no schools and no synagogue. He goes home, and these people who grew up with him, they are just flabbergasted that this guy knows as much as he does about the scriptures they're looking at each other and they're saying to themselves wait isn't this the carpenter's son which would indicate to us that Jesus never made it through all the various levels of education to become a rabbi but if you look in Luke you see Jesus portrayed as this 12-year-old boy who's in the temple and he's just astounding people with his knowledge of the scriptures but remember this is Mark not Luke and in Mark it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus was a brilliant child. Because in Mark, he seems to believe that Jesus gained all his knowledge of the scriptures at his baptism. Now, you could be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, Alex, just because Mark doesn't have a birth narrative, just because we don't have a story of Jesus being born in Mark, doesn't mean that it didn't happen the way that it's portrayed in Matthew and Luke. And you know what? You very well could be right but I think there's a bigger reason why Mark doesn't include a birth narrative <coughs> in his gospel. I don't think Mark ever knew about that story. I don't even think he knew it existed. What's the story of Matthew and Luke? You all have been to Christmas services a million times. You know it, right? What happens? Angel comes from heaven, tells Joseph and tells Mary, depends on which version you read because it's different in each, tells them that Mary is pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. So Mary knows from the beginning that this baby is going to be special. She knows that this kid is going to be the Messiah. But then we turn to Mark, and in Mark, when he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, Mark tells us that Jesus has all these brothers and sisters. He actually tells us the name of his brothers. James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and then he's got sisters who they don't name. Now, Mark doesn't tell us whether Jesus was first, maybe somewhere in the middle. He could have been last for all we know. Mark never bothers to tell us. But don't you think that if Mark had known that Jesus was Mary's firstborn son, and that God told her that he was going to be the Messiah, that he would have bothered to mention that? Of course he would have, of course he would have. And what's more, in Mark's gospel, Jesus' family doesn't seem to have any real clue what he's doing. They don't understand what he's out there doing among the people. Mary has no concept of him being the Messiah. None whatsoever. And so what this tells us is, is that Mark had no notion of the virgin birth. Now, I'm not trying to say that the virgin birth didn't happen. What I'm saying is, either it was a glaring omission on Mark's part, or... He didn't know about the story. So, this brings us to an even more challenging and difficult question, which is Is the virgin birth necessary? Now, if I was in a Catholic church, you all would take me out into the parking lot <laughs> just for having posed that question, and you would pummel me to death and say, Done with that one, let's find a new pastor. <laughs> Thankfully, I am not in. Catholic Church so I can at least pose the question right you all aren't gonna hurt me too badly right okay so the question is is the virgin birth necessary now I think for most of us the reason why the virgin birth is necessary is because without the virgin birth Jesus can't be perfect and if Jesus is born of a human mother and a human father then like everyone else Jesus is gonna be flawed and because we believe Jesus is God Jesus can't be flawed So he has to be born some other way, right? Okay. Well, I want to point something out to you that you probably never thought about before. You know, Mark obviously doesn't think it's necessary for Jesus to be born of a virgin to be God. And neither does John, for that matter. If you were to turn to John's gospel, he has no birth narrative, but yet John clearly believes that Jesus is God. So we have Mark and John... Who believe that Jesus can be God without the virgin birth, and then you have Matthew and Luke who believe that the virgin birth is entirely necessary. And because we've always clumped all of these books together into one, we've tended to side with Matthew and Luke, right? But who's to say that Mark and John are wrong? And let me give you a little bit of historical background so you understand why they might be right. In Judaism, A child is not held accountable for their sins until the age of 12 or 13 years old, when they are bar or bat mitzvah. Up until that point in time, all of their sins are ascribed to their parents. So according to traditional Judaism, Jesus, who by the way is Jewish, could have sinned all he wanted to up until the age of 12 or 13, and then been perfect from that point onward. Well that fact complicates things, doesn't it? So, we're left with this question. Who's right? Which gospel author got it correct? And some of you might be looking at me and saying, "Well, Alex, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, you can't be a Christian." But then I could counter and I could say, "Not only is the virgin birth unimportant to John and Mark, two gospel authors in the Bible, but Paul, who occupies a good portion of the New Testament. He says that if you want to be considered a Christian, you need to confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. He doesn't say anything about believing in the virgin birth. Now again, I'm not saying the virgin birth didn't happen. I don't want people coming up to me after the service and being like, Alex, why would you say the virgin birth didn't happen? I didn't say that. What I'm saying is the scriptures do not all agree about the importance of the virgin birth for Jesus being God. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference between those two things. And so we're left with a little bit of a mystery on our hands. And you know what? That's a good thing. So often we treat our faith as though it were a fact. But faith is not fact. These are two different ways of thinking. Did you all come to this church and believe in Christianity because you know the virgin birth? happen for a fact? Did you step in a time machine and go back in time and check it out for yourself? No. You don't know. It could have happened. It couldn't have happened. You don't know. You came to this church and you believe in Christianity because you've experienced the mysterious nature of God. You don't quite know what it means. You can't exactly put your finger on it, but you believe it's true. And You want other people to have the same experience that you've had because it's changed your life for the better. And you know what? That's a great thing. The question is, can you leave it at that? I'm preaching this sermon today for one specific purpose. I wanted to raise questions that would make you question many of the assumptions you have about Jesus. We need to break those down because Jesus is probably very different from the person who you've been taught about your entire life. I want you to go home and I want you to talk with your family about these questions that I've raised. I want you to talk with your friends about these questions. But most importantly, I want you to own the mystery. Don't leave here today believing that you have all the answers because you don't. A big part of faith is understanding that you don't know everything. So my prayer for you today is that God might give you the strength to embrace the mystery called the Christian faith. I hope you have some wonderful conversations today, and please don't send me too much hate mail, all right? (laughs) You all have a wonderful, wonderful day. I look forward to telling you more about Jesus next week. Amen. Thanks for listening.